This is the Collecting Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Purse, here with your co-host, Bill Hamill. I'm so much more comfortable collecting real estate than I am collecting other stuff. This is the Collecting Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Purse, here with your co-host, Bill Hamill. Been away from the podcast for a little over a month now, so it feels good getting back. We interviewed Tom Dunkel this morning. Tom is the Chief Investment Officer for Bellrose Storage Group. Extremely impressive background. Years at high-level corporate America positions. And now, again, an impressive self-storage portfolio with a team that seems to be operating at an extremely high level. Bill, what do you think? Yeah, Tom Dunkel's a very, very impressive investor. I, I, I love his journey leading right up into his focus now, which is in self-storage, creating those efficiencies through technology, making sure that his assets are, are running very, very efficiently. But at the same time, he's got a team. They're scaling their portfolio, and he explains in detail you know, how complementary skill sets are necessary and how you're able to keep that momentum going with your assets and your team. I always really appreciate the interviews with individuals who have Fortune 500 backgrounds because you you can tell right away these people are just very good at business and they chose real estate as the avenue to to apply that business acumen to. And, and you can see that that wealth of knowledge that's there behind everything he's saying. I appreciate that too. Starting at 21 years old with small properties and figuring it out as I went. Yes, you know, the people that had that type of background, I'm very intrigued because, you know, I didn't learn that way. So I'm always anxious to see how that background is assisting them on their growth trajectory now. Absolutely. And there's, there's no right answer or right path on how to get there, but it is, it is fun to, to see both sides of that. Really excited to have Tom Dunkel here. He is the chief investment officer with Bellrose Storage Group. Very impressive background, both in corporate America and then in the collecting real estate field. Tom, I want to hear more about your story. Let's get into it. How did you start collecting real estate? Yeah, thanks, Stephen, Bill. Uh, great to be with you guys today. Uh, yeah, collecting real estate uh, started for me uh, back in 2006. But uh, just to give a little more context, I'll, I'll go, I'll wind back the clock a little further. Uh, so I was in corporate America uh, for about uh, 12 years, uh, coming out of business school, um, got into the aerospace industry and was doing uh, mergers and acquisitions and uh, raising capital in that world. So that was, uh, that was a ton of fun. I worked with some amazing people, uh, you know, Harvard MBAs and Wharton MBAs, uh, retired uh, uh, fighter pilots, uh, astronauts. Um, fun fact, I actually uh, had lunch with Neil Armstrong. So it was pretty cool. Uh, he was on the board of directors of our company. Um, so, you know, I was surrounded by these amazing people. So really had a, a good solid foundation uh, for you know, my career going forward. And I was on a pretty good trajectory. I, you know, I'd left that job and got on the investment banking side, uh, went into technology investment banking, uh, in the uh, early 2000s. So that was a, that was a bad timing, right. And it walked right into the internet bubble. So that blew me up. 
you know, recovered from that, you know, stayed gritty and uh, persevered and uh, ended up, you know, with a couple other jobs. Uh, but then, you know, got uh, tangled up after leaving corporate America in 2006, right? Timing was that was not great to get into real estate. So I got blew up those next few years uh, going through the Great Recession. But I had always uh, wanted to do something on my own, guys. And uh, so, you know, come hell or high water, I was like determined to go out and start doing uh, real estate investing. So I started out like a lot of folks do, uh, collecting, you know, small uh, single family homes, uh, fixed them and sold them, you know, fixed them up and rented them. And so I went through that all, that whole nightmare. <laughs> uh, but thankfully, uh, along the way, I started looking and learning about these, uh, 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 these other niches within real estate. So I found the distressed mortgage net, uh, distressed mortgage debt um, uh, niche. And so uh, just sort of fit my background in corporate finance, you know, it's a financial tool, right? And, but it's also real estate related. So it really kind of lined up well with my background. And so got into distressed mortgages. Uh, that company's still uh, growing and thriving today. Uh, but along the way, also started looking at other uh, kinds of real estate to collect. So uh, we found self-storage back in 2017, 2018. Uh, started putting the team together 2019 and started acquiring facilities in, in 2020. So uh, to this point, we've acquired, uh, we're about to close on our 12th acquisition, uh, put us up over 300,000 square feet of storage acquired, and uh, just really excited about where we are as a team and where we are in this industry. That's fantastic, Tom. What a journey. You had lunch with Neil Armstrong. How many people can say that? that? That's that's absolutely amazing being in that aerospace industry. And when you were going through that corporate leadership and, and all of that, raising capital, at that point in the early 2000s, did were you thinking about branching off as an entrepreneur or did you think that you were just going to be that career corporate guy? Yeah, that's a great question, Bill. Um, you know, it really started earlier than that, that I just, I just, I couldn't see like where this corporate ladder was going to take me. And, and just the, the struggle I saw people going through and the, you know, and the politics and the this and the that, you know, I just, it just didn't line up with me as a person. So I knew that I needed to chart my own course and set my own sail. And so, I think it was really back then. And so I, I had, through my corporate career, I had wanted to, you know, kind of get those tools and, and frankly stockpile some cash so that when the time did come, um, I would be ready for it. And uh, I thought I was ready uh, in 2006, but of course I found out very quickly, I was not ready. I didn't, I, there were some critical skills that I was, that I was lacking uh, back then. Uh, thankfully, I've been able to overcome. But yeah, it was it was an interesting uh, few years there, uh, learning the hard way uh, during the Great Recession. It, it sounds like you always had a little bit of the entrepreneurial bug inside of you. Bill and I are preparing for the episode. Go ahead. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so you know, uh, my dad started a business, uh, and then my uh, there it my, is. My uh, grandfather uh, was a builder. 
um, an entrepreneur. And then my great grandfather actually uh, was a builder, an entrepreneur. And I don't know if there's any legitimacy to what I'm going to say, but I believe based on what I've learned through my family that he originated uh, seller financing uh, for residential homes uh, back in Florida in the in like the 30s and 40s. So. <laughs> Wow. So you, you had real estate and entrepreneurs in the family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the DNA, yep. And, and even if you were always on that trajectory, I can't imagine how much you must have learned in your corporate career. Bill and I are preparing for the episode, and he mentioned, well, he was involved in the tech industry from 2000 to 2002. I said, whoa, that, that must have been a, quite the experience. Oh, yeah. And, and I, I worked corporate sales for about a year and a half, and I learned a lot that prepared me for real estate. I can't imagine the career you had. Are there any examples that you can share that really helped you prepare for this real estate world? Yeah, sure. I mean, there, there are countless. Um, I mean, I, I learned in my aerospace company uh, how important it is to build a team um, so that you could, you know, just pull on those, uh, the, all those resources around you, right? Because no single person can do it by themselves. They don't know everything. They don't know how to overcome everything. So definitely uh, building a team for sure. And, um, and just, you know, certainly working with integrity, too, um, is important because, uh, you know, over time, you know, the world gets very, very small, right? So, you know, you don't, you want to make sure that you're treating everybody the right way and handling your business the right way, for sure. Yeah, getting back to you, 2006, you said, you know, you, you were anxious to get into the entrepreneurial world, but you found out the hard way that you weren't prepared I find that very interesting looking back when you were in the corporate world and having very, very in-depth financial analyst experience, leadership training, raising capital on a large scale. What were you lacking in 2006? <laughs> yeah, good question. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I certainly, uh, the financial skills certainly have, stayed with me and helped me for sure. Um, and I did, I did have some leadership training, but I think, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't have, I guess I didn't have enough or I didn't have enough of the right kind of, uh, skill sets there. So, you know, going out and, and starting to, you know, buy and flip, you know, residential homes, there are a lot of different skill sets involved there that, that I did not have. So like marketing, for example, right. Um, and the sales aspect and, you know, really getting to, um, you know, convince someone to sell you their house for, you know, the wholesale price kind of thing, you know, was, was very challenging. Um, and then just the hiring uh, and training process, right? Um, so I felt like I had kind of those high level, you know, more executive level skills, if you will, because of my closeness with the C-level people in, in my corporate career. But um uh, I think having to do it myself and gear it down for myself to my own team and building my own team and finding the right people and hiring the right people and assembling the right skill sets, that, those were things that I, that I was lacking sorely. <laughs> yeah, that all, that all makes sense. And I, you're certainly not alone in that, that feeling, becoming an entrepreneur. What was that transition like from flipping, rehabbing single family homes into this self storage industry where now you have this extremely impressive portfolio? Yeah, good question. Um, yeah, I think it was just a matter of, um, 
um, I, I think just kind of leveling up my, you know, my, well, first of all, my mindset, right. I mean, it's, it's, it's just as takes just as much hard work to do a, you know, a $6 million Excel storage acquisition as it does to, you know, buy a $600,000 house, for example. So I think I just needed to, uh, get my mindset in the right place. And then, and I hate to sound like a broken record, but also get the right team around me, um, so that we could take advantage of those, of those bigger opportunities. Um, so uh, yeah, I would go back to, to the skills bill that I think I needed to, uh, build on were kind of, uh, getting the vision in place, uh, getting the core values in place and integrated into the DNA of the company. You know, those were important things that I did not do uh, back in my in my first endeavors. But those are really uh, core uh, things that we've put in place at Bellroy Storage Group to make sure that our team's all, you know, headed in the right direction and in the right way. Yeah, I think a lot of us can appreciate that. That that's amazingly important. What I've learned, I think the statistic that they tell us is eighty percent psychology, twenty percent skill set, referring to that that mindset, and then you brought up the core values. Let me know what. Where did you discover? Okay, we're I'm running this business. I'm being an entrepreneur. We're having a degree of success, but what at what point in your journey did you realize this core value thing? Yeah, that's a great question, Bill. So here's what's funny. So my my business partner, Joe Downs, and I, we connected in 20, we, I guess we met in 2009. Uh, we started uh, U.S. Mortgage Resolution, our distressed uh, mortgage debt company in 2010. And we didn't know how to articulate it at the time, but now that we we actually brought on a business coach who helped us, you know, kind of uncover our core values, um, I think Joe and I had the same core values back then in 2010, and so we just kind of built our company and conducted business that way the whole time. We just didn't know what to call it, and we didn't have it written down. <laughs> so, uh, so I think that having those core values in place, and then adding people to the team that uh, have those same core values has, has really helped us uh, just gel as a team. And of course, uh, when those as a when you get a great team together. Uh, like my Super Bowl bound Philadelphia Eagles, uh, uh, you know, great things can happen. Absolutely. Getting back to the self storage, I, I, I usually hear the good parts of that asset class. There's no tenants to deal with. There, there's so many benefits. Could you describe some of the hidden risks involved with the self storage industry? Sure, of course. Yeah, I mean, it's there's certainly tons of benefits to self storage, uh, but there are some key challenges that you know people need to be aware of and look out for. Um, I, I would say one is similar to multifamily, uh, where I believe you guys are are are, uh, are setting up shop and doing business. Um, and by the way, I've been a passive uh, investor in a number of apartment deals since 2013. So I'm very familiar with, with that asset class. Um, but it, I, I would say similar to multifamily with self-storage, you know, you really have to um, make sure you're working with the right team, the, the, the right sponsor. And especially in today's environment, uh, you know, I, I always joke to people like it's easy to buy real estate, right? You pay 
pay cash, you know, pay full price, close tomorrow, you know, you're going to buy as much real estate as you can get your hands on. But now you've got to operate the asset, right? You've got to, you got to really execute. And I think that's where uh, a lot of, uh, especially sponsors that maybe haven't been around quite as long, you know, they, they focus very, they, they focus too much on the acquisition side and not enough on the operation side. And so we've, that's part of the team that we built out as a, as a world-class operations team. I mean, we never set out to be the biggest self-storage operator out there. Uh, but I put our operations team up against any of the big guys uh, any day of the week. I think we just do a great job of the, the fundamentals of, of running the business the right way, you know, leveraging technology, uh, you know, really doing a deep dive on the market survey, you know, pushing the rates, um, getting the visibility, uh, just simple stuff like security cameras and lighting, you know, I think um, take, you know, those are important things that, I think, unfortunately, if you're if you're with the wrong sponsor and you're in the wrong market, uh, you know, those can be big pitfalls uh, for investors, for sure. Operations. I, I say that with emphasis. That's that's been my expertise for years as a longtime property manager. I, I certainly appreciate that we're in this space. So much proximity with people who are doing deals where we're always anxious. Where's that next deal? Where's that next deal? Because as we figured out, uh, you know, geez, it, it takes 80 to 100 underwritings to actually find that deal. So we're so excited when we finally get the deal, raise money for the deal, close the deal. But now the not so sexy part, which is the operations. And I did notice that staying on that self-storage, that you're doing value-add self-storage. So not being a self-storage guy, I'm saying, okay, value-add self-storage, okay, we can get some rent growth potential. But where else is there value-add components? What other efficiencies are you getting in the self-storage space? Yeah, sure. Uh, good question, Bill. And, and that's... Um... Uh, it's it really is where the rubber meets the road is is in the operation side and and honestly the facilities that we do buy that have that value add I think a lot of times they were maybe you know DIY you know do it yourself investors and they're like oh you know I've been hearing about this self storage let me go buy one and then they don't really appreciate or understand or you know, really get themselves educated around what it takes to operate. Uh, facility the right way. So they get frustrated and they sell it to a company like Bowman Storage Group and they leave a lot of meat on the bone for us. Uh, but you, you're right. I mean, the, the big one is uh, pushing rent. So a lot of moms and pops and, and just before I get into the into the weeds here, let me share with everyone that uh, a statistic that I think a lot of people don't, don't really understand, which is um, only the big guys you've heard of, public storage, extra space, CubeSmart, you know, those big guys, they they only control about 30, 40% of the self-storage market. And then there's, you know, some regional players that kind of know what they're doing. But then a lot of these facilities, and there's 55,000 self-storage facilities in the United States, more than Wendy's, McDonald's, Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts combined. Okay, there's a lot of them out there. And probably... 30,000 of those are mom and pop owned. And what moms and pops don't do is they're not really keeping their finger on the pulse of the market, for example. So 
here's COVID comes along, right? COVID creates huge demand for self-storage because people are having to turn their extra bedroom into a home office. They take the bedroom furniture out, store it, put their home office in there. Uh, you know, it's just one of the many demand drivers in self-storage. But that pushed up rental rates substantially over that couple year period. Well, if you're a mom and pop owner and you're kind of asleep at the wheel and you're just happy that your units are full, all of a sudden you're 20, 25, 30% below market with your rent. And uh, we, before we hit record on the show today, we're talking about the facility we acquired up in uh, Carmel, New York, upstate New York. That owner uh, in his 80s built the facility himself. overpaid his daughter to manage the facility. Uh, but he said to us, he's like, yeah, you know, I know my rates are probably a little below market, but he's, he's like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with the amount of money I'm, I'm netting every month. You know, it allows me to go to Florida, hang out with my young girlfriend, play some golf. You know, he's, so it was very much of a lifestyle business for him and, you know, God bless him. Good, good for him. But when we acquired that facility, we were immediately able to increase the rates, um, and also uh, manage the the expenses better. Because as I mentioned, he's overpaying his daughter to run a facility that's full. So what is she doing all day? <laughs> right? So one of the efficiencies that we bring to the table is the uh, we, we have a hybrid management structure. And what we mean by that is we, we have a manager that's assigned to each one of our facilities but they're only boots on the ground there maybe three, four, five days a month, just depending on what's, what else is going on. So we can, that one manager, we can assign to multiple facility locations. And when they're not on site using technology, they can still manage the site just as well as if they were there. So they act as the call center, the, the, the phone number to the facility rings on their cell phone. So wherever they are, they're going to get the call. And they can go onto their smartphone and and use their uh, management software to work with a customer on a problem or whatever, or even rent a a unit to a customer uh, virtually. Uh, Another cool technology thing we use that I I think is, is really fun is we put a QR code on the gate at our facilities. So... If someone's driving by and say, hey, I want to stop in, because that's actually a lot of how self-storage units are rented or drive-bys, they can pull up to the gate, they can scan the QR code with their smartphone, they can fill out the paperwork right there, sign with their finger, they get their gate code texted to them, so they can punch it in right then and there, gate opens, they go to their storage unit, roll up the door, there's a lock waiting for them inside, they empty out their stuff, lock it up. And they're on their way. It's a great example of leveraging technology, as you already mentioned. And for the manager, that's just being a regional manager, right? That's right. Something I'm sure you saw in corporate America. And same thing with multifamily. You have a manager who manages a portfolio of properties. You can't go to every single one every day. Sure. And what you're describing with the COVID increases and the mom and pop owners, that's all I've known for real estate. I started this two years ago. (laughs) And my entire experience has been finding multifamily mom and pop owners Mm -hmm. who just haven't had that finger on the pulse of the market. That's right. What's your deal structure like for these? Are you raising capital? Are you syndicating these 
Yeah, good question. Yeah, we are we are syndicators, so we put uh, investor groups together to uh, to ride along with us because we, we put our skin in the game ourselves. We have folks uh, that join us on our uh, journey uh, building wealth in uh, self storage. What what kind of returns are you looking for on average? Yeah, so we we won't look at a deal unless our investors are going to get high teens. Um, total returns. And we also like to see that we can pay our investors like a preferred return along the way, which is usually in the 8% range, give or take. Well, that's certainly acceptable. And I noticed earlier in your career, you, you were building CRMs in the early 2000s in that, in that corporate environment. Tell us about your CRM system now and how you're able to stay in touch with all of your investors and, and, and some of the inside baseball with, with how you're able to keep those investors warm and anxious for that next deal. We do have a technology platform we use as our CRM uh, to interact with our, with our investors. So we use InvestNext, and, uh, which is great because it allows our investors to log into our investor portal and in the investor portal, they can see the, uh, the deals that we have upcoming. Um, we do a, a webinar that we'll post on there that I'll, I'll narrate. And so we'll walk through the investor deck, uh, talk about the market and the facility and the value add potential, et cetera. Um, and it also gives us the opportunity to communicate with our investors in between deals. So we like to add value as much as we can by sharing articles that we're reading that that uh, are providing good information about hey you know here's what's happening in multifamily right and here's what's happening in self-storage and here's what's happening in these other asset classes so we try to educate and nurture our investors so they get a kind of a holistic view of what's happening in real estate uh you know the good the bad and the ugly i mean you know we were talking a second ago about you know covid really pushing demand well covid's over now and so we're back to a an environment where we're we're seeing seasonality again in self storage that has that was gone for the last couple few years, right? So we are having a slow uh, you know, winter time right now, and uh, we we're and so we're communicating with our investors. Hey, we're back to a normal seasonal cycle in in self storage, um, but we uh, you know we I, as an investor myself. Um, you know, I found similar to my, uh, similar to what I said earlier about buying real estate is easy, right? If you pay cash, you know, raising capital, uh, can be easy as well, but then you really need to service your investors. Uh, it's important to, to keep that communication open and keep the transparency open, right? So we have a facility that in our portfolio right now where we, we had a difficult time more difficult time than we anticipated with the transition from the prior owner. And there were a number of problems that came up. So, you know, we had to keep our investors informed about, Hey, you know, things are not going as well as the, at this facility, as we had anticipated, we're slow getting it up and running in our using our systems, but you know, here's what we're doing to resolve those problems. And, you know, folks really appreciate, getting that information. I know I do as an investor in other people's deals. You know, I want to hear, you know, what's going on, the, the good and the bad. Um, so that's important, that transparency aspect for sure. 
Yeah, for raising capital or closing a deal. Catching the fish is fun, but skinning is the, the important <laughs> <That's> part. <right. laughs> so you say you're back to the regular seasonal cycle and, and it feels like we're, we're back on track here. As someone who's been through multiple market cycles, it is a little bit of uncertain times. What are you seeing for the near future and how are you preparing for it? Yeah, great question. So, uh, you know, we're reading multiple sources of uh, information about you know, what, what to expect out there. Um, and similar to, to the past, uh, you know, there's, there's a big spectrum, right? Some people are, you know, very gloom and doom. Others are, Hey, you know, it's going to be a, uh, it's going to be just a gentle recession. It's going to be a, a soft landing kind of thing. Um, and, the, and it usually ends up happening somewhere in the middle, right? Um, I don't think we're in a great recession scenario. Uh, back then, you know, there was no liquidity, right? People were, you know, overspending, uh, you know, mortgages were just given out to anybody who could fog a mirror, right? I mean, there, there were a lot of things back then that, uh, that were really working against us and caused the, the big downturn. Uh, today, I think, you know, underwriting standards are really strict. I think the folks that are getting loans now and over the past few years are very well qualified. Um, and I think that the, and there's tons of liquidity on the sidelines, right? Um, so I, I, I would think that we're not going to see anything too devastating. But to prepare for it, we, you know, we like to kind of under promise and over deliver, right? Uh, prepare for the worst, hope for the best type thing. So uh, that's why we love self-storage. Uh, for 40 years, self-storage occupancy rates at facilities across the country have gently meandered between about 80 and 90 percent. Uh, so sure, rental rates will fluctuate, but the, the fact that the occupancy stays high means that the, the income stays generally pretty consistent. Uh, if you look at uh, default rates across different asset classes, uh, you know, you've got, you know, hotel and office, right? You've got retail and then, you know, down toward the bottom, you've got multifamily and then self-storage default, but barely registers on the scale. And I think it's because it's, it is a very high cash flowing asset class. Um, so we're, we're excited to, to be where we are um, and we're ready to face whatever headwinds we, we might be facing. Yeah. And self-storage is your expertise at this point. I can appreciate everything getting back to normal and throughout my career interest rates were between five and a half to seven percent for 95 percent of that time and what is weird to me is is different what's weird to newer investors where the majority of my career we didn't have these value add massive rent growth deals which we've a lot of us have enjoyed over the last three or four years and that's turned into that's my buying criteria at this point it, it wasn't for years and years yes i enjoyed to buy great deals that you were able to take advantage of the operating efficiencies and, and, and get the rents up but it was just never as dramatic as it is now, where right now I'm just looking for, it doesn't matter that the interest rate is 6%. It's just another line item in the budget. I'm looking for that deal that underwrites based on that interest and that conservative underwriting in three, four years saying, okay, it may not be 6%. Let's 
make sure that we're cautiously underwriting, even if the interest rate may be at eight or nine percent on a refinance. Knowing that you mentioned you're also in apartment deals since 2013. What is your buying criteria for apartments or are you just focusing on self-storage? Yeah, as far as buying, I'm, I'm focusing on self-storage. Um, I, I, I've invested in apartment deals as a, as a passive uh, limited partner. So I wasn't really, you know, digging into to that market. I was, I had a deal, you know, kind of presented to me. And, um, yeah, I have a, a, a guy who I just trust in that space. And, uh, you know, I push on his numbers a little bit. But I guess that's the beautiful thing when you do find a good sponsor uh, you know, you can stick with them and you build that trust and, and you keep kind of uh, go into a deal just feeling confident in, in their ability to execute like they've done for you in the past. No, that makes sense. So you're the expert in, in self-storage on finding the deal, raising money for the deals, and then operating that deal as efficiently as humanly possible, but taking advantage of some diversification on the multifamily side as a as a limited partner. No, that, make, that makes perfect sense. Knowing that you had this expertise in technology early on, I'm, I'm very curious how different it is seeing back in 2000, 2002, where you were doing wireless technology in the corporate world and what a difference it is from then till now. Can you just give us the high level over the last 20 years? Yeah, sure. Uh, so here's what's funny, Bill, is uh, I remember in my investment banking days, you know, we would have companies coming in to, to pitch us on their company and, you know, because they wanted us to either raise money for them or help them find a strategic partner or what have you. And so they would come in and, you know, we'd be at like a big boardroom table and, you know, whole team there and they, they make their presentation. They're talking about, uh, you know, for like an internet company, they're talking about eyeballs, this and click through that and all this stuff and, uh, and how they're going to be burning money. You know, they've got, you know, they're going to be burning cash for the next, whatever, 12, 24 months. And, you know, I kind of sit there like, you know, how are these guys making money? And, uh, but everyone else around the table seemed very excited. So I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm missing something. <laughs> but, you know, fast forward to today, you know, of course, you know, the internet bubble crashes, you know, a bunch of those companies, you know, went out of business, you know, billions of dollars, you know, probably trillions of dollars were lost on these crazy uh, business plans and these hockey stick projections and stuff. So having come out of that, you know, now having, uh, you know, good tangible asset, you know, piece of land with a business running on top of it. I mean, that's something I can get my head around pretty easily. And so it is a big switch, but I think uh, again, putting my investor hat on, uh, you know, people sometimes chase those shiny object, you know, sexy sounding things. Uh, you know, of course, these days, you know, cryptocurrencies and all that digital stuff. And I think, you know, people have lost tons of money doing that. But, you know, I'm happy to just now uh, be in an asset class that's, that's resilient and, uh, you know, can, can weather, you know, 
bad times and do really well in good times. Excellent. No, I appreciate that. What's that team look like now? I, I think that's huge value for our listeners and, and me and Steven for that matter, because we all know when we're getting to this level and looking to buy big assets, doesn't matter if it's self-storage, if it's multifamily in different parts of the country. Tell us how important that team component is. What is your expertise? What are you focusing on? And what other people on your team are you really relying on to be successful? Sure. Yeah, great question. So when we first started out, um, well, Joe and I had been business partners for a while. And when we found self-storage, we, we knew pretty much right away that we didn't have the skill sets because we were out. We, we were trying to find some deals on our own. But you know, I'm a finance and, you know, I'm the spreadsheet nerd, you know, Joe's kind of the relationship, but also a very good financial mind as well. Um, but we, we weren't able to generate the leads. You know, we tried, we tried sending out the mailers and all that stuff from our office and, and it just was, we weren't getting any traction. It wasn't, wasn't working for us. Um, so, uh, so we brought through our self-storage mastermind groups. We, we joined a mastermind group. We started meeting other people in the industry. And we found our partner, Tim Kane, uh, who at the time, he's a really good lead generator, but he doesn't have the financial background, doesn't, can't do the underwriting and, and capital raising. So we fit together really well with Tim. But when the three of us started talking, we realized, hey, you know, what are we going to do when we buy one of these things? <laughs> now we got to operate it, right? So the last piece of the puzzle was finding uh, a, a world-class operator. And so we found Catherine East. Uh, who's been in the industry for uh, going on 17 years. Uh, she was the executive director of the Missouri State Self-Storage Owners Association. She's audited and done management consulting and transition work for hundreds of facilities all around the country. So we brought her on the team. And once we had that team together, we were, we were confident then to go out and, and start buying. But even then, Bill, we we kind of overlapped a little bit, you know, we, we didn't have clearly defined roles. And so when we hired our business coach um, in January or February of, of last year of 2022, um, that was one of the first things uh, that he had us do. He, he had us come up with an accountability chart, not, a, not an organizational chart, but an accountability chart where we identified the key areas of the business and the functions within those key areas of accountability. And then we assign people to each of those areas. So my partner, Joe, he's in charge of acquisitions. So he, he's got a VA that helps uh, hit the list of self-storage owners in the markets where we want to be. And then he goes through that whole process. Once he gets a deal under contract, it kicks over to my team, which is the uh, capital servicing and underwriting team. So we, we crank through the underwriting, we line up the debt, we line up the equity. And once we close on the facility, then we kick it over to Tim. And Tim's in charge of uh, the transition and the operations and tracking the key performance indicators. And so that's pretty pretty much how we're laid out. Oh, and he also has a, a expertise in the development side as well so from his residential background. So when there's a facility that we acquire where there's an expansion opportunity or um, like the one we're about to close on in Georgia, there's a conversion opportunity. So there's an, there's an old, there's a big old warehouse there that just is full of a bunch of junk. So we're going to clean that out and actually install 
self-storage units inside there for to offer climate control uh, storage. So Tim Tim handles that. And then we have corporate operation. We have corporate operations and financial operations as well. Amazing. I, I really, really appreciate that answer. And, and everybody should rewind and listen to that again, because it, it really does spell out those components. But still, when you found those team members, you all had complementary skill sets. What was necessary to create that glue to get those efficiencies? It's that coach or that mentorship to really, really bring things along. Before we get to these outros, I just wanted to ask you, as you have this team, and then this coach was able to assist you to this point, do you have some type of a, a project management system or software that you rely on to, to really keep you guys communicating well, along with that accountability? Yeah, we, we do, actually. Uh, we use uh, a software platform called uh, Basecamp. And Basecamp is a project management uh, system uh, that has great communication capabilities. It has um, to-do lists in there. So uh, for any particular project, so for like an acquisition, we have a, a template uh, that we've created for each acquisition uh, that starts with uh, like the pre-contract, under contract, and then we go through all of the steps needed, the to-dos. Uh, for uh, getting the deal closed and every to-do is assigned to a person that has that responsibility with a due date. Uh, so we're able, so in our meetings uh, every Tuesday morning, we're able to go through each deal very efficiently and we can see, you know, the accountability is there. Like if something's done or not done, it's pretty clear. And so if, you know, if Tom hasn't done something, everybody's going to know. So I, I better, you know, get it done. <laughs> and that's so necessary. It, it, it just keeps the momentum. Yeah, we're able to grow our businesses and move along, but to be able to take advantage of, of what's out there now from not only those CRM systems to the project management systems, especially at a level where you, you, you're probably, tell me if I'm wrong, you're maybe in different states than, than your partners. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. We're, uh, we are spread out a little bit. Um, uh, I'm actually in Tennessee right now. My partner, Joe is in, uh, is in Pennsylvania and Tim's in Florida. <laughs> so it's, uh, he's, he's just down there for a little bit, you know, doing a little, uh, snowbirding, uh, but he's mostly in, uh, Alexandria, Virginia, but yeah, we're a little bit spread out. Uh, but again, thanks to technology, you know, we were able to, uh, you know, work together as a team, even though we're, uh, not sitting right next to each other. Well, there you go, everybody. That is that is how you arrange your business to scale and the inside baseball and how you run the business. I think the only thing that he has to add in there on these accountabilities, you, you know, you set up your Zooms and you're all face to face and you're able to have your weekly meetings and, and keep massive, massive momentum moving along. So we're all able to grow properly. Really appreciate that, Tom. This is the Collecting Real Estate Podcast. They say you have to have three of something to make a collection. So we've got three questions for you to finish up here. In five words or less, what's the most important thing you've learned since you started collecting real estate? Uh, I might go over your five words if that's okay. That's Just fine. Five, but, um, 
uh, find a niche, get educated so you can dominate that niche and get a team in place so that you can execute and take over that niche. What I got out of that, the fantastic answer, it's focus on three things. If I, if I focus on more than three things, I think our momentum stops, right? Is that, is that what they tell us? And, and that's what we've all, or that's what I figured out the hard way. Second question for you. What are your one to two year personal goals? So, yeah, personal goals. So um, I'm going to be an empty nester soon. Uh, my son's in college. My daughter's graduating high school, going to college. Uh, so my personal goal over the next couple of years is to, uh, I want to buy a big piece of property and I don't need a fancy house, but I'd like to have a, a modest house on a nice piece of property, uh, where I can maybe have a stream or a pond there, do a little fishing, do a little hiking on my own property. And, uh, you know, maybe, uh, discharge a firearm here and there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> What, Sounds nice. what do you like to shoot at? Uh, oh, bottles and cans. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> well, it brings us back to being a kid. And, and, and it's funny. I love that answer because, you know, I, I, I live in the house that I grew up in and I'm very, very comfortable here. But we've created this this outdoor space, which I explain to people is is my favorite room in the house or in all reality. My favorite room on the property is is outside and and you're explaining just that yeah you just want something modest but you want to be able to go out into your backyard in the woods act like you're 15 again and, and start shooting right. shooting your bb gun at cans and and uh whatever suits you that's right <laughs> last question for you tom is how can we assist you how do we contact you Sure. Uh, well, I mean, you've already assisted me, uh, Bill and Stephen. This has been great. You've asked some great questions. You definitely had to engage my mind this morning to uh, to keep up with you guys. So thank you for that. Uh, definitely, you know, iron sharpens iron. So I appreciate that very much. Um, but yeah, folks can uh, feel free to reach out to me. Again, I'm Tom Dunkel. I'm Chief Investment Officer at Melrose Storage Group. And you can find us at melrosestoragegroup.com. Uh, you can also find our uh Facebook page, Bellrose Storage Group on Facebook. That's where I post my podcast interviews and articles and other cool stuff. We try to add value to the world out there. Uh, and uh, of course, if, if you want to hear about our upcoming investment opportunities, you can, uh, through the website, bellrosestoragegroup.com, you can find your way to our investor portal where you can sign up and be notified of upcoming opportunities. Beautiful. Wow. Lots of learning today. It, it, it really is. I, I do encourage everybody to rewind back and, you know, get some of those nuggets that Tom was able to explain to us, especially when we're looking to grow and build that team on those, those outline points of how to build that team and, and to create the projects moving along. I really appreciate you being on the, Tom, on the show today, Tom. Thanks so much. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Stephen. That was a lot of fun. Thanks, Tom. Thank you.